welcome to episode number 104 of the Savvy Social Podcast. This podcast is a show for entrepreneurs, business owners, creatives, and marketers looking for the how and the why of social media marketing. I'm your host, Andrea Jones, and my goal is to help you create connection and build community by keeping social media simple and fun with a focus on helping you make your difference in the world. Now, these shows, the podcast, is brought to you by Traject Social, which is the world's most complete social media management tool. And it's my tool of choice when it comes to things like scheduling, managing, and especially reporting on social media. Try them out for yourself for free by going to trajectsocial.com, and my link will be in the show notes. Today's guest is the lovely Alethea Chang Fitzpatrick. And Alethea is the principal and founder of Co-Creating Inclusion, which is a diversity, equity, and inclusion firm with a focus on shifting culture and driving equity through strategic consulting, leadership, and team development. Her mission is to help people, teams, and organizations create a cultural transformation through inclusion and belonging in order to co-create conditions where we all can thrive and do our best in the most fulfilling work. Now, Alethea and I are in a mastermind together. And when the Black Lives Matter pandemic happened, the anti-racist movement, uh, primarily in America, but all over the world, uh, when that was happening... I reached out to her and asked her if she would be willing to come on the podcast and have a conversation about how we as digital business owners can make sure that we are uh, creating diverse and inclusive spaces online virtually and how we can approach our marketing and approach like building a business that's that's not assumptive of what other people's experiences are. So I'm really excited about this conversation because Alethea challenges us and brings up some amazing concepts that we should consider as we are building our business. So without further ado, let's dive in to this conversation with Alethea. All right, Alethea, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to talk to you today because this has definitely been a hot topic. <laughs> yes, uh, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to chat with you too. So let's start first by understanding how you got into this work of diversity and inclusion. And tell us a little bit about that, maybe like the two to three minute version. The two to three minute version. Okay, so... um I'm a British-born Chinese-American, so I was I'm an immigrant daughter of immigrant parents, grew up in England, uh, came to New York when I right up after high school and sort of fell in love with the city and stayed here. Um, I like to say I sort of grew up in, um, in feminism, so I grew up in white-dominated communities, but I went to progressive girls' schools where there was a lot of talk about women's empowerment, but race was never discovered. Uh, race was never discussed. And when I came to New York, what I realized was that I just really loved the diversity here, still in New York. And it was just such a a sort of relief that I didn't even know that I needed when I got to the city. However, I didn't start out in diversity and inclusion. I started out as an architect. So I went to architecture school and I practiced architecture for many, many years. Um, And then it it was in the last recession when I became a mom 
uh, that I decided that I wanted to like so much that I loved about architecture, but I was also kind of burning out on it a little bit. And I felt like there was something else that would better suit sort of my talents and my passions. And particularly, I really love working with people and architecture. Um, you were sort of work with people at the beginning, then you go away and you design everything and go through construction and then you kind of see them move in at the end. And, um, yeah, so I set out on this journey to find, I didn't know what it was. Um, as a new mom, I was taking a lot of photos. So I actually started out doing photography, but then also teaching other, um, mostly women, um, about how to find joy and connection through photographing their kids. And that kind of brought me back into the discussion around, women's leadership and, you know, working with women and just getting to hear all of their struggles around identity and the negativity bias and, you know, what all of the things that you, uh, women often struggle with in being a mom. And so I did a women's leadership coaching certification and really loved it and decided to sort of really move into women's leadership coaching. At the same time, um, this was several years ago, I was also starting to get into the conversation around race. And I think with Black Lives Matter, you know, with social media, actually, we started to see and hear more directly from people impacted by police brutality. And I realized that I had a lot of unpacking to do both around my own experiences with race and kind of growing up in white dominated communities. And for me, that was a, a model of assimilation. So blending in being as white as possible in order to be safe. Um, and then, you know, also realizing how little I knew about the history, history in the U.S., but really the history of systemic racism and oppression and learning about, you know, particularly for Black and Indigenous folks, you know, people of color not a monolith. So I always want to recognize, like, the history in this country means that Black and Indigenous folks have a very specific experience in this country. And so understanding that as well really led me while at the same time sort of seeing the limits of only looking at gender, um, I really wanted to step into and more fully embrace all of the different aspects of identity. Race particularly is something that, you know, because of my own personal experiences is something I've really delved into, um, but I still, you know, really care about gender and of course looking at sexual orientation and mental and physical ability, religion, immigration status, class, you know, all of the many, many other different things, family structure, personality type. Um, I'm also a Myers-Briggs certified practitioner. So that's been an interesting angle to bring into sort of understanding our natural personality preferences as opposed to how we're socialized. So just really bringing all of those things in. Um, I landed on doing diversity, equity, inclusion, and it's sort of a really, I feel like I still use my architect brain. Like I'm a creative at heart, but I get to work with people. So I get to actually stay with the people throughout the whole process of shifting culture and driving towards equity. So, um, that's kind of the, sh the short ish <laughs> version of how I, how I've come to where I am and the work that, uh, that I do. Yes, I love your journey. And, you know, I've always heard your accent and I didn't realize that your history there. Um, so that that definitely, I, I mean, I like that. I like accents anyways. Um, okay, so let's talk about what diversity and inclusion mean specifically for digital business owners, because I think one of the challenges in being a digital business owner is that we don't see our audience members. We don't see our communities. And sometimes we don't even see the people we work with on a daily basis. Um, so how, like, can you define what that means for us as digital business owners? 
Yeah, so I think that often when we're talking about systems of oppression, what we're talking about is kind of not just what's visible, but what's invisible. And a lot of it is actually about what's invisible. So when you talk about digital business owners, I think some of the things that are invisible, even in a physical business or when you're working with people in person, um, can be even more invisible in an, in a digital business. And so um, I like to talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion. So just real quick, you know, diversity is the presence of difference. So you've got people with different backgrounds across all kinds of different dimensions, some of the ones that we just named before. Equity is where everyone gets the support that they need. So it's a little bit different to equality. It's more about an equal outcome, but because people come in at different points of access with different levels of resourcing, and facing different systemic obstacles, different people need different things in order, need different supports in order to succeed. So often there's a misunderstanding there where it's like we have to give everyone the same thing um, is not necessarily the case. And then inclusion is really where everyone feels um, not just that they belong, but they really feel valued for the uniqueness that they bring to the table. And so inclusion is really, right, so I talked about assimilation. So assimilation is sort of where you give up pieces of your identity in order to belong. So it's important in inclusion to have those two components. And so I think that for digital business owners, part of what diversity, equity, and inclusion can help identify is, you know, who is, who is in your community and who is not in your community, who is being excluded, and often it's not an intentional, a malicious exclusion, but that because of how we're socialized and because of the systems in our culture, if you don't actively seek to create diversity, equity, and inclusion, you often default to a situation where certain groups of people, certain people with certain identities are excluded. And so um, I don't believe that every business has to include everybody right businesses are allowed right have specialties they can niche there's a certain you know there's a certain kind of target that they're looking to reach but if your target is um let's say you're targeting creatives right you're not necessarily saying well i'm targeting uh creatives that are heterosexual and are married with kids right so but but maybe that's what you're maybe that's who you're attracting by default, because maybe that's what your identity is. And so the people that relate to you the most are those people, right? So I think if you're targeting creatives, you just want to be careful you're not inadvertently also targeting other types of identities that is not really anything to do with your business. Yes. Um, So I'd, I'd like to hang out there a little bit because I think that unintentionally excluding certain groups of people is very common in the online space, especially with online marketing and social media marketing. Um, so as we're approaching this, what are some of the like, red flags that we could see um, you know, in our marketing that maybe we're unintentionally um, excluding a group of people? And um, we, I recently went through this with a client, so maybe we could use that as an example. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he's a therapist to parents of uh, teenagers. And a lot of times in our marketing, we were speaking to two-parent households with a certain age of teenager when sometimes people raising teenagers don't always look the same. 
Um, so what are some of the things we can look for in our messaging and in our marketing that maybe could be some red flags to us that help us examine some of those unintentional exclusions? Yeah, so I think even before you look at the marketing, you sort of want to start with looking at yourself and what your knowledge base is or what your awareness is around identity. So often when we have privilege, we're not even used to having to think about it, right? So, um, you know, white people don't necessarily go around thinking about race a lot or men may not be thinking about gender a lot. Or if you're physically abled, you may not be thinking about what it would be like if you were not, you know, if you had to use a wheelchair, say. So often when we have privilege, the barrier, like, it, we're not even really thinking about it. So I do believe the work has to start with ourselves and looking at what assumptions we're making about who we're, who we're talking to, who we're, who's even in our social networks, who, you know, what voices are we hearing? What perspectives are hearing? What are we hearing? What media are we consuming? What kind of books are we reading? And like, I, I recommend ideally that business owners start with looking at themselves and then looking at how that is impacting or translating into how they are setting up their business. But I think certainly in terms of marketing and social media, what you just described is very common where we are talking to people. So when we have privilege, we sort of assume that everyone is like us. And so in often in our marketing, we are without even realizing it, talking, making some assumptions about who we're talking to. And um, even when we are not privileged, we are also socialized to center on the norm. So maybe, maybe we're not white. Maybe we're not heterosexual. Maybe we're not able-bodied. Maybe we're, you know, all of those different things. Maybe English isn't our first language, but we've been socialized to still sort of cater to that white cisgender privileged boy, you know, audience. And so it's a, so, it's a, it's a socialization that runs really really deep and I found even for myself I've had to I have to still practice every day kind of catching myself when I'm imagining who I'm talking to even preparing for this podcast interview to be honest like I still I had to I had to sort of I always have to sort of give myself that reminder to not assume I'm talking to white folks for example and to really be very intentional and aware of um how I'm, yeah, the assumptions that I'm making with the audience that I am talking to. And so that is a, I think that's a really big thing um, in terms of marketing and social media. And then I think the other thing that I would say that I really encourage business owners, digital or not, to think about is, um, because I think often when there is kind of an awakening like we're seeing right now around systemic racism, oppression against black folks and other people of color, there can be this anxiety around saying the right thing and also showing that we are not racist, that we're one of the good ones, all of, you know, all of those kinds of things. Um, and I think um, it's, So one of the guidelines for myself that I always think about also, and I uh, recommend to clients and others is um, to speak for my own healing while also centering on the most impacted. So if I'm speaking for my own healing, I'm speaking from my perspective and I'm speaking to advocate for myself and others, but not to necessarily try and educate or convince. So I think often we are very well-meaning, but we really want other people, we really want to, um, 
educate or convince other people to see what we have seen or what we are aware of. Um, I think when we have identities that are not the dominant identities, we often, we've been socialized also, we often find ourselves, I think, sort of pleading for our own humanity also. And um, which is basically denying, <laughs> if we have to plead for our own humanity, we're, de we're denying our own humanity. And so I always say like, we can at least not be complicit with that. So speaking, really staying connected to our agency um, and speaking from that voice because a, a self, it could be very easy to fall into self-righteousness. Um, but for me, right, self-righteousness leads to finger pointing and blame, which leads to victimhood and it leads to giving up your agency. Like if I'm self-righteousness, if I'm self-righteous and I'm telling other people how they've done it wrong, I'm really kind of putting myself in the place of a victim. And I, I always want to be careful not to do that to myself or to others. So, um, yeah, so those are some of the things I would, I would, um, that I have found helpful and, um, that could be places for people to start thinking about this. Yes. And I love that you pointed out how there's that, that fuzzy line between we want to share, um, our position on something, but we don't want to come across as self-righteous or even just centering it on ourselves, um, especially as business owners, because it impacts us. Um, and recently with a lot of this, there's been um, some of that like blame and um, calling out and that sort of thing. So um, do you have any advice for um, business owners or creative content creators who are thinking about how to share their position um, without it coming across as like, look at me, I'm awesome, but also showing that like, yeah, I do care about the, like this group of people and I'm being intentional about my actions and that sort of thing. Like how, how do we balance that or straddle that line? So I do think it is getting out of being worried about what other people think. So there's a, there's a saying, right? What other people think is none of my business. What other people think of me is none of my business, which when you're in social media marketing can be really hard because it kind of is, your, like, right? It literally is your business. And yet we can't control other people. And I think that's where it gets really, it can feel really toxic in a way that is hard to pinpoint is when it feels like people are kind of shouting at us to try and make us believe something about them right so i think it goes back to it goes back to speaking um for your own healing but at the same time you know i think that transparency is really important and um accountability and follow through so the ways that you can create trust and safety for your clients for your community for the people that you're interacting with is being willing to name things that are typically invisible, being willing to name systems of oppression, being willing to name privilege, being willing to say, hey, I'm privileged in these ways, or I'm, you know, but I'm, you know, historically more marginalized in these ways, and being able to just sort of name, name it, like to show that you're aware of your identity. And to, you know, I often like to say, it's really kind of about creating a circle rather than a ladder. So in a ladder, it's a hierarchy, and there are people above and people below. Whereas a circle, we're all kind of, you know, at more of a, like we're all coming in as people, as humans. And while I don't think that means like, right, so it's not about being colorblind and saying, well, we're all just one race, the human race, right? Which, which invalidates 
the systems of oppression that people with different identities experience. I think one of the things people struggle with is um, centering or not centering oneself, like that it is possible to decenter oneself without erasing or negating oneself. So if you think about a circle, there's no one at the center, but everyone has a voice. And so, and some people have been systemically given much less of a voice. So they may need to be given more of a voice, but that doesn't, I don't believe that ever means anyone has to completely erase themselves or negate themselves. And so and we can, there are ways that we can use privilege when we have it to create space for others while still creating space for ourselves. And in a way it's sort of like almost like going first, like it's like making, <laughs> opening the door or making the space by sharing, you know, bringing more of ourselves into a space so that it lowers the cost for other people to be speaking up. So one of the things I've been thinking about a lot actually is um, in my work and with my team, one of the things we do is go into organizations and in a way what we're doing is lowering the cost for folks to speak up. So often there are people who've been speaking up about issues and, and for various reasons are not being heard. And a lot of that is because leadership often has a lot more privilege and it's very hard for them to hold space for the fact that some of the staff may be some, experiencing something very different to what they intend or what they observe themselves. And so you have this gap between what staff is saying and leadership's ability to hear it. And so as a third party consultant, we come in and we kind of lower the cost for, for those folks who've been speaking up. We can do this in many different ways by gathering data or providing anonymous ways of collecting information. And then we can, we can sort of uplift those voices to leadership, but also scaffold leadership up so that they understand what they're hearing. Mm. And so I think how this applies to digital business owners is, and I think currently for all of the sort of messiness of this moment that we're going through, the conversation around um, police brutality, around anti-black violence, around um, racist, systemic racism has gone way more mainstream than we've seen. <laughs> and so what that does is it has kind of systemically lowered the cost of speaking up a little bit. And I think what digital business owners of any kind of, any whatever their identity is, can think about as a business owner, how can you lower the cost of speaking up for people within your community? How can you make it safer for people to come in and talk about their personal experiences and things that might be hard to talk about? And that can be done, I think, even in your marketing and social media, there are ways to invite people into that conversation and make it feel inclusive rather than kind of like sort of issuing statements <laughs> from the top of the castle, so to speak. Yes, and I love that. That was going to be one of my questions is how do we, how do we, co-create these spaces with our community members um, and I'm asking this kind of selfishly too for my own community for my own um, my own privileges and, and certain things so I wanted to feel like a safe space that people can uh, communicate about whatever um, they're going through or whatever their lives look like. Um, so it sounds to me like we we have to work on ourselves first <laughs> mm -hmm. and then we can start opening the doors to those conversations within our own communities. Um, I'm curious though what your experience is for someone who 
let's say they are a part of a community and um, they're experiencing some tension from other community members, um, how, how can we navigate that if we want to remain in that community without trying to just, you know, educate that other person or make them feel bad for their experience or whatever their situation is, but, you know, maybe their perspective is harmful. How do we, how do we approach a situation like that? So, you know, you had mentioned call-out culture sort of before, and I think that, unfortunately, the re- a lot of times the reason it gets to a sort of calling out or a dragging is that other means of communication have not been successful. So a big public calling out is rarely the first thing that happens. And it's the same with protests, right? People wouldn't be going to the streets, taking to the streets, if any other way of speaking up and advocating had created the kind of traction that, you know, was really warranted. And so while I don't believe that, you know, while I don't believe that shame is the most productive tool, sometimes when you've used all other means, and if it's someone very public, that is kind of sometimes, unfortunately, what it takes would because because nothing else has really worked and honestly sometimes the call often that the calling out doesn't really work either but but absent of that so before it gets to the point where you really have to take that kind of drastic measure um one of the a really helpful tool is is to just ask questions so we call it the tell me more method and you don't have to literally use those words tell me more but a really great way to have a conversation with someone who may have a very different perspective. And especially if they are in a position, more of a position of power or privilege. So power and privilege is is contextual, right? So if you're talking about race, right? Someone who is white is more racially privileged than someone who's a person of color or who's black, right? But if you, in a completely different context, right? If you're the business owner and founder of that community and that person is within, right? So if you shift the context, the, the power could be completely uh, swapped or overturned. So it really sort of depends contextually. Um, but this works, but this does work when you are in sort of less of a position of systemic power that you can use, tell me more, you can even use it with microaggressions to sort of just take a pause and slow things down a little bit and ask that person to explain a little bit more about what they actually meant by something that they said so that you are not making assumptions because often we get very, you know, things hit nerves and we, re- we react based on sometimes intergener- you know, intergenerational trauma, right, can cause certain reactions about certain things, and um, which is a completely valid reaction. But Tell Me More can help um, slow things down a little bit. And what I found, especially on social media, is when you do some sort of version of Tell Me More like, why do you say that? Or like, can you tell me a bit more about what you meant by this? Um, that person will uh, usually, <laughs> there's three options. They quite often will just double down on what they said, in which case you sort of have the confirmation of what, what they meant. Um, often they'll delete because they'll actually realize that what they said was problematic and they get embarrassed. And so, um, right, they'll just like delete what they said. And then sometimes it has actually happened where people will reconsider or realize that um, what they said wasn't 
was was harmful or had an impact other than what they intended. And I've actually seen not a lot, but occasionally people are like are able to reconsider. And I think especially I, I would say I'm um, when you've got so intention right, we know or a lot of what we talk about in these in these conversations about how impact is greater than intent or impact is not the same as intent, right? But I do think, which I, which I, which completely am behind, um, along with the power analysis, so that's a whole other conversation where I think impact being greater than intent assumes that the person creating the impact has more power. Mm-hmm. So if the person creating the impact has less power, that kind of becomes a different situation. Don't want to get too derailed with that. But um, when uh, I think it is, it's not enough to have good intentions, but if we can ascertain that someone has good intentions, there's potentially just a little bit more of an opportunity for a bridge and to create a path from the good intentions to seeing the impact. But I think the same things that we talked about before kind of apply that if you go in trying to educate or convince that person, if you go in trying to sort of plead plead for your humanity or all of those kinds of things, it becomes toxic very quickly. And so really speaking from your own perspectives is sort of using nonviolent communication kind of techniques and saying, you know, um, you know, when you say that, right, that makes me feel like I feel that I feel this, like communicating the impact to myself, you know, to myself, but really trying to stay, really trying to stay in our lanes in terms of not telling someone else who they are or what they meant or really not speaking for anyone else at all, but really just speaking for ourselves. And so that's kind of a de-escalation technique that can create the possibility for conversation. And I've actually, I have seen people really evolve actually in conversations around this when people are willing to kind of take the time to go through that sort of a conversation slowly. But it really does, it really does center always on um, actually not trying to educate or convince somewhat, but really speaking for yourself. Yeah. Yes. This has been very helpful. I think there's a lot of opportunity here for growth, just even in the, in the small uh, suggestions you gave of, you know, not um, trying to tell the other person what they said, but really translating it into how it impacted you. I think that's a very powerful technique just for anything that's said on social media, because it, it can be so inflammatory. So thank you. Thank you for that. Um, for anyone listening, if they want to connect with you further, um, can you share a little bit about where they can find you online? Yeah. So um, I am the principal and founder of Co-Creating Inclusion. We're a diversity, equity, and inclusion consulting firm. And so our website is at cocreatinginclusion.com. Um, anyone is also free. I welcome particularly connections on LinkedIn. Um, and so I can be found there as well. And then I do have a series that people might be interested, which is called um, 30 Days of Courage, um, Confronting the Truth About white supremacy. It's like my personal reflections. Um, and I wrote every day for 30 days back in December, 2018. And then I did an update in two th- December, 2019. So there are now prompts at the end of each email that invite you to consider things both from a personal perspective, but also from a business or organizational perspective. And so that's at um, dismantlingwhitesupremacy.com. 
Awesome. And I'll put those links with this um, podcast and with this video. I highly suggest going through um, some of that content because you may, it may help you examine where you, wherever you are listening or watching. Um, so thank you. Thank you so much, Alethea, for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. It was a real pleasure. What a fantastic conversation. Thank you guys for listening and joining in today with this interview with Alethea. Now, as mentioned, uh, check out her series. It's at dismantlingwhitesupremacy.com. I have the link in the description or in the show notes. And it's really a journey towards confronting the truth about white supremacy and also has some weekly reflections so you can kind of journal your way through this. So check that out. I also have all of Alethea's links in the show notes in the description for you guys. Let me know what you think. I, I think this is a really important start to an ongoing conversation. All right. So next week, I'm really excited because I'm going to be talking all about how to become a social media manager in 2020. Yes, in the pandemic. And I also will be sharing my workshop that's going to be free. That's happening at the end of July and some details about how you can sign up for that free workshop um, because it's going to be epic. There's a lot of opportunity right now. My, my business personally is overflowing with opportunity and I want to give some of that overflow to you. So if you're considering becoming a social media manager or if you're already a social media manager and you're looking to grow your business, definitely tune in next week as we talk about that. But that is all for today. If you enjoy our episodes, make sure you subscribe on YouTube, subscribe on your podcasting app, give us a like, give us a review, really help support the show. That's all for today. I'll see you next time.